We'll do it live! F*** it! Charles Keiko. Thanks for coming on. Oh, sorry. Thank you for having me, brother. <laughs> it's great to have you. It's kind of surreal because, like you, I am a follower of the podcast Wars Going On on YouTube. Um, and you were at Ground Zero on the show Misery Loves Company with Kevin Brennan about a week ago. And I was like, man, this guy makes really good points and he's bringing levity into this situation. So yeah, I was impressed with that. Well, I think, uh, um, like I said on the episode, that there's things I disagree with on all sides. Yeah. Um, you know, this is like watching a bunch of five-year-olds um, argue, well, he started at first. Absolutely. So I had to do this. Um, and I think in regards to Chad and Kevin, and I guess Steeltoe and Carl, you know, it's a, yeah. a never-ending string of podcasts. Uh, but in some ways, it's not. It, it's only about 10 podcasts that are going at each other. It's They're all doing stuff that I think is wrong. You know, bringing in kids, uh, family members, mm -hmm. um, you know, I just think that if you have a problem with someone, keep it to them. But yeah, this is the new era of, you know, essentially as anyone who's a fan of mine, God forbid if you are, you know, I come from the, the show Roast Battle, which mm -hmm. what I loved about Roast Battle the most is if you wanted to talk shit about somebody, great, they're going to be on stage with you. So there's a different energy, I think, when someone is in the room with you. Mm -hmm. Because you can call them fat, but they're going to get to call you something. Yeah. Um, and the crowd, which in the belly room at the comedy store, mm -hmm. they're right on top of you. So you get instant feedback. Whereas, you know, with, say, Chad and Kevin, you know, Chad could say something about Bob's stepdaughter, there's really no blowback for an hour or two until Bob hears about it, and then vice versa. They could, Bob and Kevin can make fun of, uh, you know, Chad's brother's mm -hmm. situation, mm -hmm. and Chad's not going to hear about it for a few hours, so he has a few hours to amp up. And, you know, it's the same thing with Steel Toe and Chad, sure, Shuli and Stuttering John. So uh, I'm myself, I'm not into the online roasting. If I have a problem with you, I'll say to your face. Yeah, that energy is weird now. And I think super chats have a lot to do with that weird energy. Because um, it kind of adds to it, you know. And it's, it's sort of like, it's odd to me because I've, I've seen it really become prevalent where it's like people are paying to be a writer for a show to write lines and have them read, you know? I don't know if I like it. I don't know if I like it. I feel like, um, I, I think it's making people lazy. You know, if if, if these guys can just turn on their, their laptop or phone and then like go in unprepared, have to just read super chats. I mean, they are funny with the super chats. They do riff off of them, but um, man, I really think it just comes down to good content. And I've always said that. If you do a good show, people can't make fun of you. 
I mean, I do like it from the standpoint of I've done comedy for free for so long mm -hmm. that, you know, it is kind of neat to have a a source or a, a, a lane of income that, hey, I'm a funny person. You know, mm -hmm. if you like what I do, pay me. If not, I'm still going to do the show. But um, so I, I, I don't mind it. Uh, you know, I mean, Kevin is Kevin has motivated me. I mean, here's uh, a guy who is a very successful comic and um, he has paved a way for comics to make money and not have to leave your home. I don't mind it. That Look, if people want to throw money at me, look, there's descriptions, you know, go for it. This whole world and this this toxic, hypocritical thing where everyone's doing, accusing others of what they did, and it's just this circle, you know. But, but then there's these unwritten rules. It's kind of like, well, Chad crossed the line. Well, what's the line? You know what I'm saying? I, I might agree he did cross the line, but at the same time – you know, Aaron, I, look, I interviewed Aaron. I'm down, with, I'm down with anyone who does my show, but I'm going to keep it real. I, I think when in the beginning they were really going after him, him and April, and they were going after him pretty hard. Now, his response was fucking over the top. You know, I look at Chad Zumach and I'm sympathetic toward him as far as his background, you know, rough shit, dude, rough shit. And I, I, I you know... I, I think that crosses a line too. Now, who crossed the line first? That's debatable. I guess Chad did. You know, I, I don't know. I don't think Chad's talking about people's dead relatives. You know, why is that funny and okay? I, I think in the the podcast wars world, you know, it started with Stuttering John. No, yeah. I think it was Carl, and, and who are these podcasts? Mm -hmm. You know, they were first in. They took a lot of meat off the bone, and then Shuli came in, took whatever meat was left, mm -hmm. and you know, I I think after Shuli had kind of taken whatever was left, everyone was looking for a new stuttering John, mm -hmm. and uh, that's when I think Steel Toe found Chad. Yeah, I don't remember how they found him, but I'll tell you, know, you. unlike. Yeah, I mean, but I think, oh, okay, yeah, because I don't remember that part. What had happened was um, Steel Toe saw that Shuli and Carl from Who Are These Podcasts took all the meat off the bone. So Aaron was like, I'm going to start doing these, the peripheral starting John guys or the, the players from around it. And he zoomed in on Chad Zumach, you know, and, it, and with, with the whole Chad Zumach went on Who Are These Podcasts. Chad started going after Carl and then Steel Toe started picking these secondary people to go after. And then he started going after Chad and then who are these podcasts started doing the same thing. So, so anyway, that's how it, it, it happened. Unlike um, Stuttering John, who, who just kind of took it. Uh, you know, maybe he didn't care uh, or he just wasn't interested in, in getting in the mix. Uh, mm -hmm. Chad, I thought, did a brilliant strategy at first of almost like a rope a dope, just keep coming, keep coming, and then something. You know, Shuli said to me once, "Earl, you are incapable of 
speaking unless it's got a pro wrestling reference behind it. So I'll explain myself in that way. And it, I, I, I might lose you for two seconds with the references, but you probably won't. But go ahead, let's try. There was a promo about a year ago between Kenny Omega and Will Ospreay. Okay. And you know, standard good guy, bad guy stuff. And, um, you know, Will Ospreay is basically the, the slightly younger version of Kenny Omega. So they have a natural uh, heat between each other. Okay. And, you know, it started off by Ospreay saying, I'm the new you. I'm accomplishing much more than you. You know, standard scripted stuff. And Omega was just coming off of an injury. Mm -hmm. He had a T-shirt on. He's got this great body. And Osprey said, what's the matter, bro? Are the abs gone, brother? Basically calling him fat. Okay. And that's the worst thing you can do to someone who works out is call them fat. And I think that happened with Steel Toe and Chad. Mm. You know, they hit a line, and I don't know what it was, but there was a line that made, like Omega, Chad go, okay, guys, it's on. Yeah. But I do think Steel Toe miscalculated how far Chad would you know, go in on them. Um, I think they did too. I, I I think they did. I think he did too. And, and I'll tell you my my thought on it. I, I I think when when April got involved, I think that's what, in my opinion, I don't know Chad. I've never spoken to Chad, but I think she started getting in on the jokes, and she was, you know, really roasting Chad pretty good. And I think that bothered him more so than Aaron doing it. And he really started going after her. Um, yeah, I mean, you'd probably have to ask Steel Toe uh, or, or really Chad, you know, and I don't know if he would ever say this is the line that got me going. Sure. Yeah, he, he's probably the only one I'll ever know. Yeah, things have definitely gone way too far. I think I'm about to check out of it for a while, you know. I do find it repetitive. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, just the same yeah. stuff over and over again. So. Yeah, yeah. And it was the same with, like, John back in the day. I, I remember, like, him getting into it with Anthony Cumia and Artie Lang. And, of course, you know, they would be making fun of John, and then John would come back with a, well, Artie, you tried to kill yourself. You know? <laughs> and the argument was, John went too far. And now the argument's, well, Chad's going too far. You know, it's like, you know, a divorce versus you know your brother getting killed you know i mean like i kind of i'm kind of on the chad side a little bit you know well i will say uh chad is driving these podcast wars so it's it's good for business it's good it is it's good for business but whose business like i couldn't imagine putting out content and 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 other people getting um benefiting more numbers and more money off of the content that I produce on my own channel by taking it and reacting to it. Like more other people are making money off of John, other people making money off of Chad, at least more money than he's making. I think. I just think, you know, unfortunately with the podcast wars, um, you need constant new enemies. So 
It's like wrestling. You need new feuds. Yeah. You know, that's the beauty of Chad is Chad will keep it going. Mm-hmm. And, you know, whereas like Stuttering John didn't, you know, which is why it got old pretty fast. Because mm-hmm. it's like, oh, it's not funny. He's not fighting back. Um, now, and, you know, well, I think the interesting thing about Chad is, you know, he's a storyteller, you know, with like people still talk about the black eye. I still don't know the story behind that. Like, yeah, I don't think anyone's ever going to know, but he, but him, but, know? and it's great because we still talk about it. And, um, so I yeah, think I mean, he, get, he gets drunk yesterday. I think it was, and everyone's talking about it. <laughs> he was on for nine minutes. So what? So fucking what? He drank and it was drunk. Who gives a fuck. I'm with Chad. Who gives a fuck? <laughs> yeah, but that kind of made me sad because it's it like, was. And I do think that, um, and I forget whether it was Steel Toe or Carl even show it. I get confused, you know. With no, it's fine. I watch it all, so it's like it's hard. Yeah. To, and, and one of them was even was like admitting this isn't cool anymore, um, you know, because it's, um, you know, I mean, so many lines have been crossed by everyone. I think everyone deep down knows, hey, I went too far. Dude, they're still doing it, man. They're doing it as of today. You know, oh, I know, but they're in too deep, all of them now. There's, mm-hmm. you can't turn it back. You can't say, ah, eh, Chad's a good guy deep down. Not when you've been making fun of his brother dying. And, oh, yeah, dude. I'm with you on that, man. I'm with you on that. But at the same time, he's Chad's a grown- the same way, though. Like, you know, like I'm friends with him, but like he's crossed the line, too. Uh, and, you know, he's gone too deep where he, you know, if they ever do a show, I think Atlantic City, something's happening there in a few months. Mm-hmm. I don't think you could have Chad and Steele to say, hey, let's bury the hatchet. Like they've gone too deep. They've all accomplished things, you know. They all have a unique story. I mean, everyone just wants to look at Chad for like the last couple of years, but I've looked into him. I'm like, man, this dude's been at it for a while, you know. Um, you know, Aaron on my interview, I learned a lot about Aaron, you know. El Horrible, he was a fucking intern at K Rock, you know. Um, all these guys have interesting stories. You, I'd like I do want to get into your story. Everyone. <laughs> I'm boring compared to these guys. Dude, I interviewed this this fart prank guy. I mean, we got people in the podcast wars thinking they're big stuff with 10K, you know, subscribers on YouTube. This guy, Sons of Arkham YouTube channel, Dan, I mean, he, he's got 160, 170,000 subscribers, you know? My buddy, uh, Jordan the Lion, um, he was an actor out here, and uh, you know it's hard to be an actor out in Los Angeles. I mean, you know, I know some of my friends who are on TV shows, featured, uh, recurring characters, and they still waiter, you know, like, and you know he was struggling, and he started a travel vlog. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he's killing it. He has like I think two hundred and fifty thousand subscribers. Man, that's amazing. And he go he, like he'll do these really cool, um, like travel vlogs. Like he'll go to the Ultimate Warrior's grave and and he'll do yeah. a story about it. Mm-hmm. And, 
and then he'll go uh like uh i used to date the manager of motorhead so i was in the episode uh about lemmy and he'll go to lemmy's apartment and then he'll go to the rainbow it's it's really well done um uh stories and, and vlogs i guess you'd call it uh, yeah so you know i think it's never been easier for you me jordan mm -hmm. to make it on your own and it's true I would say you've made it. Like, Stuttering John, he made it. You made it. Now, everyone's definition of what made it means. To me, looking at you, I would say you made it. You've been doing comedy for a long time. You're a fucking regular at the comedy store. Um, like like I've seen you say that, no one, no one, that shit doesn't get handed to you. You know what I'm saying? And I'm sure for you, at some point, 15, 20, 30 years ago, if someone would have came to you and said, hey, Earl, in... Um, you know, whenever in the future, your name is going to be on the outside of the comedy store and you're going to be a regular there. You would have been like, fucking sign me up, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, it, it's like uh, getting your name on the wall at the comedy store. It's like getting your name on the Stanley Cup if you play hockey. Like, Fuck yeah, man. So you it, made it, you know? I mean, yeah. I mean, making it is, is different to all people. It like, is. That's my point. That is my point. But... I think you made it, and that's why I'm talking to you right now. <laughs> no, no, I appreciate it. I mean, like, I mean, listen, I personally don't think I've made it, but you know, I think about a year ago there was a uh, comic. She was really drunk. Mm -hmm. I said, "Let me give you a ride home." And uh, so I'm giving her a ride home, and she's like, "Earl, you're my mentor." And I'm like, "What do you mean?" So, well, you've been on TV, you know, roast battle, and I'm dying up here, and you're the lead on an Adult Swim cartoon because uh, she was into animation. Uh, paid regular at the comedy store, and I started going, "Hey, maybe I have made it." <laughs> she kept naming all, but yeah. you know, I think uh, you know everyone's version is different. Like everyone's version is different. I would say this though. I would say you're supporting yourself, right? Yeah. You're doing what you love, right? Oh, absolutely. You're living where you want to live. Likely. I mean, I don't know. Yeah. No, but yeah. then you made it. You're supporting yourself. Yeah, I mean, I'm happy. You, if you you're know. supporting yourself doing what you love in the entertainment business, in the industry, then you made it. Oh, Here. absolutely. Yeah, I mean, so. No, I mean, you know, to some people, you know, Russell Peters is making it. No, that's absolutely Russell Peters has made it by most people's barometers. Uh, you know, Matt Reif, he's a newer, uh, younger comic. Mm -hmm. You know, he's a social media comic, I guess you'd say. Uh, he's going on a world tour just really based on his TikTok videos. Um, to me, he's made it. Uh, yeah. What may, you know, I think making it is what you make of it. I think making it is when you could sit there and you're proud of what you've accomplished. Oh, hundred percent. You know, I think that's, that's then you, when you're, when you're, it doesn't matter what Kevin Brennan says about you, you know, you have enough self-respect to know what you've been through to feel happy in your skin. And I, I, I respect that. Yeah. I mean, that's why I love Kevin. I mean, it, it's almost a, honor to be roasted by him that's absolutely true 
I was thinking about this interview and, and a little bit earlier, a couple hours ago, and something popped in my head. And because I, I've kind of checked you out and, and, and checked out a lot of your social media and some of your past interviews and some of your podcast stuff. And you, um, I mean, you entertain entertainers. I mean, the, the, the celebrities that go into the comedy store are, are, are just there to see a show musicians you know all types actors tyler the creator grammy award winner and you are entertaining them i mean that is a big fucking deal in my opinion yeah i mean at the comedy store it's um it is the place where entertainers go to get entertained yeah man and 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 and, and you are entertaining them so you know that's my goal i mean last night at the comedy store I closed out the main room and it was famous comic after famous comic after famous comic after famous comic and then me. Mm -hmm. And I had a great set. So hopefully when the people left the show that night, they loved seeing Whitney Cummings and, and uh, Mark Marin and Bobby Lee and the others. But left going, who was that last guy? He was pretty good. Yeah, hopefully they say that. So, I want to talk about music. Um, yeah, I know you're a big Kiss fan. Um, Lick It Up was big on MTV. I like the riff, um, and I like Vinnie Vincent. Believe it or not, and that man, what a character that guy has become. Um, I've been following him the last five years, and it's so strange, man. I mean, he. Uh an enigma to say the least um i mean talent wise he has van halen like ability and uh -huh. i know what i'm saying when i say that like that that's a bold statement sure uh, but brain wise you know uh, it's there's not a lot going on up there, man. Yeah, I don't I don't want to diagnose him, but but yeah, man. Like I've watched, you know, he was he was just gone forever, and then he came back maybe five four years ago at a Kiss convention. Did you follow? Have you followed it since? Like what's going on? Oh yeah. Well, I was one of the ones who bought the first the original box set. You know, you know, twenty, I think twenty twenty five years ago. Uh huh. And uh, I got it in the mail. And uh, for those of you watching, I, I literally, I got a package in the mail. Uh -huh. This is not it. Oh, okay. Uh, I thought you were going to show it to me. No, no, I wish. I lost. <laughs> oh, man. And I was like, man, this package feels a little light. Like, I'm going like this. And uh -huh. I open it up, and there was nothing in it. Oh, shit. I think it was a hundred bucks or 125 bucks, which was a lot of money back then. Yeah. And yeah, a lot of people still bring that up, man. So does he. I mean, like, I think it was a year ago. He said, I'm going to make it right to all the people who bought that box set 20, 25 years ago. I'm going to give you two box sets. And I'm like, I just want the one I paid for. Like, uh, <laughs> you know, he just, I think Gene Simmons had the best, and I don't often agree with what Gene says, because um, I think Gene and Paul always try and make it seem like they're the normal ones. And uh, But Gene said in regards to Vinny, 
you can give him the keys to the kingdom and he'll shoot himself in the foot every time. And yeah, man, it's it's a problem. A lot of people self-sabotage their, their careers, their success, their talent. They just self-sabotage at every turn, you know? Well, I've seen it. I see it in comedy every day. But, yeah. you know, when you look at Vinny, and it's weird. We talked when we first started talking about Gene and Paul working with each other, even though they hate each other. And, uh, you know, just talking about the podcast works for two seconds, you know, all these people pile on Chad, but you know what, what they don't realize is they need Chad mm. to drive the insanity. And I, I think kiss and Vinny are, were very much like that. Mm. You know, let's be honest. He rescued their career. Like, I think so, man. Well, cause I don't think, I don't think Ace was capable of, of ushering in the new eighties era. You know, if you, you know, if you're a younger fan in your thirties or whatever, you don't realize that the type of guitar that was really prevalent back then was, you know, obviously Van Halen, uh, Jakey Lee. But I mean, that was the style that, you know, was in, in vogue and, and would be in vogue for the next couple of years was, uh, faster playing, uh, and, uh, you know, George Lynch, uh, and then to the ultimate degree, uh, Ingve Malmsteen. Uh, and I don't think Ace could have done that. Um, you know, Ace was from that Jimmy Page kind of sloppy noodling. And I don't mean sloppy in a negative way, but uh, yeah. So I think Vinny and, and even Mark St. John, uh, who was uh, almost a footnote in history, uh, you know, they were the perfect players for that time. Uh, so, you know, Vinny just because if you, I think the first Vinny Vincent Invasion album, most of that album was demos that would have been on Animalize, uh, mm. which would have been interesting. But um, yeah, yeah, you know, as you're saying that, and I'm thinking about Vinny Vincent's guitar playing style, it's interesting that, like, Lick It Up, I mean, I don't know what their most popular song was. I think I would say Lick It Up was probably up there. Yep. It's a simple riff. You know, it's just very simple, but memorable. Well, that's why I think they were good, good for each other was Vinny brought a, and he's a great songwriter, um, mm -hmm. that style of music. And, and that's because I think his background, now this is doing a real deep dive. I'm going to mention some names. People are probably like, what? Uh, but, you know, when he started off in the Dan Hartman band, which uh, Dan Hartman, a, a great 80s uh AOR type guy, uh, you know, it's, he's most known for I Can Dream About You from uh, the Streets of Fire soundtrack. But, you know, that was a very melodic band. And, you know, he got to play with G.E. Smith mm -hmm. you know, from Hall of Notes and uh, the Saturday Night Live band. So I, I think he had a good uh, school of uh, melodic playing behind his speed playing. Um, and so I, I think... You know, he, I think as the 80s started coming on, he wanted to prove how fast he could play. And, you know, he saw what was coming with Lynch and Martini and all those guys, Jakey e. Lee. And he's like, well, I could play fast too. Uh, so I think Gene and Paul were good for him. Like, hey, dude, you don't have to play a million notes a second. You know, and, and I, so I think they were good for each other, much like yeah. 
you know, what we've talked about with the podcast wars and whatnot. Um, yeah. Yeah. And that's a funny, and, and it, and, and it's interesting the podcast wars, you know, you hear Kevin Brennan talk, they're talking about, ah, he was only paying me a hundred dollars. He was only paying me 200, you know, Anthony was only giving me $200 and it wasn't worth it and blah, blah, blah. But it's, it, it with that, it like, it came to a point where Vinny was like, I want more money, you know? And they're like, no. And that's where it kind of, it's all, isn't that where it kind of ended with kiss? And other than the fact, I'm sure he was kind of a loose cannon. Well, like the podcast source, I get accused of never picking a side, but that's because I try and see all sides. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And with Me too. Vinny and kiss, I do see both sides. I do too. I do too. I'm sure Vinny was like, wait a minute. I just wrote or co-wrote, uh, eight of the 10 songs on look it up. Your guys' albums were flailing before mm -hmm. me. Um, and I actually like the Elder and Creatures of the Night, but you know they, they did not sell very well, especially the Elder. Um, I, I I don't want to be a hired gun. Like I literally just saved your asses. Um, yeah, but I also get Gene and Paul going. Hey, man, we've been keeping this band together for four years when it's been kind of flailing, and you know you don't have a band to save unless we carried the water the last couple of years. I mean, this is a different subject. It doesn't really relate to Vinny, I guess, but fine. Go ahead. I mean, I did a podcast once where I, I think kiss did something I've never seen before where literally I think it was 10 straight albums were a different musical genre. Like yeah. with uh, uh dynasty, which is, you know, we don't have to name all 10 albums, but you know, dynasty was a disco album. Essentially. Yeah. Uh, Unmasked was a basically a Cars album, mm -hmm. um, which I love the Cars, so I, I was okay with that. Um, and then you know the Elder was kind of a Pink Floyd, hey we can write good songs too, and and then uh, Creatures of the Night was more of a, a Zeppelin esque hard rock record, and, and so on and so forth. And, and and then Kiss had I think they're the only band to ever do this. Where they had four different guitar players on four straight albums, like that's insane. That um, is. So I, I think that you know, Kiss in that time period when Vinny and he was on Creatures of the Night. Most people don't really realize that they um, don't. They don't. But, but I mean, there were so many guitar players on Creatures of the Night from uh, the guy from Mister Mister. Uh, I think Steve Ferris was his name. Is his name? Uh, you know, Vinny, I, I think, uh, you know, uh, Robin Ford uh, was rumored to have uh, been on that album. And, and who knows who got, right. uh, you know, I think at that time period, it was rumored that Robin Crosby from Rat had auditioned. So, uh, you know, and Punky Meadows, uh, you know, I, I don't even think Kiss knows who played on Creatures of the Night. I really believe. <laughs> so crazy. That some of those songs on the finished album, Gene and Paul, they might say they know, oh. but I really believe they truly don't know. I mean, Benny's style is pretty memorable. So, mm. like, I do believe Benny was on the, the song Creatures of the Night. You could tell it's his tone. Mm. Uh, so, you know, Kiss was a mess when Benny joined, you know. So, uh, but I do understand he's a, and to this day, it's a total wild card. Um, 
you know, I was contacted because I had pitched a documentary to Netflix. I probably shouldn't say this on a podcast because someone might steal the idea, but fuck it. Uh, I'll edit it out if you want me to. No, no, you can keep it in. Uh, if, if someone wants to take, because I know how hard Vinny is to work with, no one's going to steal this idea because you're not going to be able to carry it out. Uh, <laughs> That's true. <laughs> I had the empty box set uh, that Vinny sent me. So I had pitched this idea to Netflix of a documentary called Finding Vinny. And <laughs> the opening scene. Now, this is when he was kind of a recluse still. Yeah, uh, he was off in Nashville, outskirts yeah. of Nashville. Well, people didn't even know. I mean, Rolling Stone tried to find him, and they couldn't find him. Uh, yeah, he didn't turn up until there was some like domestic stuff going on with him and his wife and some DUIs. But other than that, yeah, it was... I mean, no one yeah. even knew he was in that and where he was. Yeah, but I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, no. So my, I said, here's the opening scene. It's me at my living room table opening up the box set with nothing in it. <laughs> and then the next scene, if we could find him, is me knocking on Vinnie Vincent's door. That would have been fucking awesome, dude. Where are my cassettes, motherfucker? Yeah. Uh, and you know someone reached out to me through Vinny's camp or i don't even know if he had a camp but <laughs> he probably he probably I, I i think he's got people but he are he is those people <laughs> i think yeah, it's a I mean, one person operation well it's like jamie kennedy was on my podcast uh and he said and it's a well-known story that jamie kennedy the comic and actor yeah i know him. uh he used to call comedy clubs and he get, he gave some phony name getting himself booked like yeah. he would say I'm uh, Joe Schmo the manager for Jamie Kennedy and uh but this guy and I do it was probably a friend of Vinny's he's like Vinny would love to come do your podcast it's twenty five thousand dollars yeah and I'm like dude no one pays for podcasts uh guest even Ro well Rogan might pay his guests but like uh you know and but I'm not on that level it's like I'm giving him an opportunity to give his side of the story and make it right with the, uh, I'll guess, hundreds of people he ripped off through the years. Uh, and they're like, okay, we'll do it for 15. <laughs> and I, no, I'm not paying you a dollar. Like, I'm trying to help you guys. Uh, and I know my friend manages him now. And my friend, mm. uh, Howie Hubbard, he, he used to manage Poison. And like, so he knows what he's doing. And I could tell now how he's never said anything bad about Benny, but I could tell it's exhausting. Uh, oh, it's so. got it's got to be working. It's got to be like working with Beetlejuice. It's on that level. You know? <laughs> I'm serious. I don't think, uh, you know, I, I don't know what goes on in Benny's head, but it's like, dude, you could carve out a nice niche of. Yeah. Uh, well, people are still people. I mean, he still has one. That's what's interesting. <clears throat> I mean, he's still putting on like these once a year birthday bashes where no, where people come into this mysterious place and supposedly he's shredding like he's ever never shredded before, like he's always done. But there's no footage of it. Um, there's clips of him, you know, like I've seen a few lately. I, you know, and then even this past week, it was like he said he had a band. Robert Fleischman was back. Robert Fleischman wasn't back. He had this other dude he said was a singer. 
then the dude's he's like i don't know dude, this dude's not my thing it's just it's always drama with this dude it's crazy what, what what's interesting is like i will see reports from some of these people who have paid 500 for this private party and by the accounts that i've seen it's been worth it you know they actually had a good time with him he was very personable he played his ass off supposedly i, I mean i i wasn't there but I, I, dude, if I live in Memphis and if any events that was playing in Memphis, dude, I would fucking be there in a heartbeat. I want to see this either shit show or I want to see him shred one or the other. Think how cool it would be, though, like if he had his shit together, if the final farewell tour and Kiss would probably do this because, I mean, it's selling out anyway, so you don't, you don't really need them. But like I'm going to go see them at the Hollywood Bowl in November, I think it is. How cool would that be if he came on stage just to do Lick It Up and, you know, maybe all hell's breaking loose and, you know, so you don't put the pressure on him to play a full show. Here's two songs. You wrote them. You know, Tommy will go backstage. You know, we'll have a little fun. Uh, that would be so cool. And the fans would fucking dig that. But I just, yeah. he'd probably ask for more money an hour before the show. And then yeah. Gene and Paul would tell him to F off. We'll just, go out there with Tommy and error. So yeah. it's had, uh, I hate seeing people piss away talent. Uh, yeah. And I know if I'm 54, he's got to be 64, 65, however old he is. Mm -hmm. Dude, you know, the, the, the clock is ticking, brother. Your last known uh, 15 minutes of fame were 40 years ago, bro. Like, yeah. So, but you know, right. some people never learn. I see in the comedy world all the time. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Without a doubt, man. Um, speaking of Kiss, you know, I was looking at some of their stuff. But yeah, like the Psycho Circus Kiss. I, I like that. I like the Carnival of Souls stuff, which is odd, you know, but it's my own journey. You know what I'm saying? It's my own musical taste. So Yeah, I mean, like I always say about Carnival of Souls, it's it's a great Stone Temple Pilots record. <laughs> yeah, I like the song Jungle. <laughs> but childhood's end is probably one of my favorite kiss songs oh i mean that's a great album like if you don't tell people it's kiss yeah you just put it on and i mean paul's vocals are pretty identifiable but you know uh it's a it really good album i mean so i mean creatures of the night is a great hard rock record um uh, you know animalize is another one of my uh favorite albums and heavens on fire is one of their more popular oh, yeah songs. that's right man Ooh, those videos are pretty cringy <laughs> i mean lick it up stands up because it's kind of a cool post apocalyptic you know mad max you know whatever you want to call it uh, but mm -hmm. you can even tell if, if you ever watch the lick it up video again they must have already been having problems with Benny because it's <laughs> it's so noticeable that they cut him out of ninety percent of that video. Like, yeah. But uh, I mean, Heaven's on Fire. That's a little cringy. Yeah, um, it's really cringy, man. <laughs> where they're just in a hotel room with a bunch of you know eighties type rocker chicks making yeah. out. But, yeah, yeah, but most videos were cringy in the early 80s, mid-80s anyway. Oh, 100%.
I mean, one of my favorite bands is a band called Zebra. Have you heard of Zebra? Oh, of course. Yeah. Um, I interviewed Randy Jackson, the singer and guitar player, a couple of months ago. But um, they had a couple of videos. But one of their videos, Wait Until the Summer's Gone, off of their second album. It's it's a pretty cringy right. video. I mean, they have him jumping around like, you know, David Lee Roth. I mean... Uh, Eddie Van Halen, and they 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 have them do. Some, who's behind the door is a good video though, but it, it, but it, nothing was as bad as Billy Squire's video. Well, I mean, that killed his career. Yeah, know. it did. It did, man. He was a badass rock and roller. Fuck um, yeah, he was. Boy, ouch. I watched that um, interview you did with Ryan Roxy, and I learned so much in that interview. Like, I've never heard of Shark Island, and then I'm on a Shark Island fucking rabbit hole, you know? <laughs> yeah, I mean, they're another band, probably my greatest what-if band. Um, you know, they were kings of the Sunset Strip, you know, sold out Gazaris every time. Uh, I mean, it's often rumored that Axel Rose car- c- copied Richard Black's stage moves. Mm-hmm. And I saw Shark Island about a year and a half ago at the Whiskey. Um, and I got to be honest with you, I thought I'm going to see if he really moves like Axel Rose or vice versa. And I could see Axel Rose stealing from this guy. Like mm. he's charismatic, even in 2022 i guess at the time uh you know he's bald and he he was wearing like a a beanie and like like a nike t-shirt i mean it was a very unglammed version of shark island and he's great i mean great front man even uh in regular clothes so uh you know but they you know kind of fell into that just getting there a little too late, even though they were kings of the strip for much of the eighties, they, their major record release was in 89. Mm. And it just, uh, you know, they had the, um, the one video on MTV. Well, they had two videos on MTV, uh, Paris is calling and bad for each other. And it just a little late to the party. To me, People talk Nirvana, but um, Dirt and 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 I, I, I'm a huge fan of Facelift. Um, that this definitely for me was a bridge out of Shark Island type stuff into darker things. You know. Well, I think uh, Janie Lane told the story. I think they were both on the same record label. And he goes in there uh, for a meeting. There's a the lobby of Atlantic Records was a huge cherry pie uh, mural, basically. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And he came back like two weeks later or something, and there's a huge <laughs> mural for Alice in Chains. It was specifically dirt. So a lot of bands were just not prepared for the upcoming wave of you know alternative rock you know it shifted it wasn't just the imagery that shifted but the lyrical content shifted you know yeah i mean you went from songs talking about pussy Mm -hmm. to uh, 
you know, the gloom and doom of life. You went from like, okay, Warren Cherry Pie, the song Cherry Pie, to Alice and Chains, Them Bones. You know, I mean, <laughs> it was a dramatic shift. Well, I think in, you know, 89, 90, you can almost say even a little bit late 88, you had a band like, say, Britney Fox. Yeah, I remember. I liked, to be honest with you, but, um, you know, they looked pretty ridiculous. Uh, yeah. You know, with beyond poofy hair. You know, once again, if you listen to Long Way to Love, that's a great song. Oh, uh, yeah. All those guys are fucking fantastic singers, fantastic musicians. I mean, Michael Kelly Smith is a great guitar player, but if you see the video where uh, I think Dizzy Dean Davidson is wearing like a, they look like gay pirates. Yeah. Uh, you're like, oh boy, I, I, you know, I can't listen to this. Uh, so I just think the imagery of, and you know, Smells Like Teenage Spirit was probably the first video that was really like, okay, this is different. Like there's anger in this music during that time there was for me it was like uh, you know hair metal for sure or 80s metal but i also like thrash you know thrash metal from the bay and from new york and you know um but from the bay especially um so it was both metal and heavy metal but thrash to me was a little bit more like they look like regular people, you know, <laughs> they, they were wearing jeans, high tops, um, t-shirts. So that oh, appealed, yeah. that appealed to me. Um, you know, like, I might've listened to Britney Fox, but there was a band called metal church and a song called badlands on, on MTV as well. That, that, you know, and I was like, man, that, that badlands is, that's some fucking great shit too. You know, I think Metallica's one kicked the door in. What's funny, I used to play hockey on Sunday nights in Culver City, uh, mm. which at the time was where the hockey team, the Kings, practiced. And it was kind of a run-down arena, which, it, looking back, it's like it's mind-blowing to me that an NHL team was practicing there. Mm. Uh, but I would play with Rocky George, the guitar player from Suicidal Tendencies. Oh, yeah, yeah. He was a good hockey player. And, uh, cool. He was the first guy to tell me about Guns N' Roses. Like, he was like, I think around early 80, 80s, like, bro, there's this band. I know them. Uh, they're called Guns N' Roses, and they're going to be the next big band in the world. I'm like, bro, you should check out this band, Britney Fox. They're going to be the next <laughs> big band. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so, I mean, Rocky was really the first person to introduce me to Guns N' Roses. So, uh you know, and he, I think he was an amazing player because I think he had a missing fingertip, kind of like Tony Iommi. Mm, interesting. And he, you know, I became aware of suicidal tendencies through him. Uh, mm -hmm. They were a little too hardcore for me. Uh, right. But, but then later on in life, I ended up dating one of the managers from Motorhead. So I uh, kind of by force initially became a fan of harder metal. What's the heaviest band you like? I'm curious. What do you say? Weezer? No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> I mean, I would say... I mean, I like Metallica's hits. Uh, but if you said... If you... Oh, probably Motorhead. You know, they... I think my favorite Motorhead memory is when they played the House of Blues 
and Slash came on to play. It was either Killed by Death or uh, I think it was Killed by Death. And he came off after one song and it was like, it's too loud up there. <laughs> but to Lemmy, it was nothing. You could tell Lemmy, like, hey, crank it up. Man, the loudest concert I've ever been to, I think, was Slayer. Um, it was at a mid-sized place in, in Memphis called the New Daisy on Beale Street, New Daisy Theater. Um, it was so fucking loud, man. And um, and and I, I swear that concert, I, I say this, I've said this to people, like the craziest white motherfuckers in the world go to Slayer concerts. Like they're just headbutting each other. I mean, it's just I always say they, they should just they should just close the doors. The military should just close the doors behind, make everyone exit stage left, shave the heads and then just drop everyone in Afghanistan and we'd win wars because these fuckers are crazy, man. <laughs> I mean, I, the craziest concert I've ever been to was Motorhead at the Ventura Theater. Uh, wow. Ventura's, uh, you know, a uh, little north of where I live. Mm -hmm. uh, it was like a Nazi rally, like <laughs> all white, uh, skinheads. Mm -hmm. uh, and the mosh pit was, uh, and I certainly wasn't in it, uh, but it was the most violent show I've ever been to. Just uh, animals. Um, yeah. You know, I, I went to a show a couple of years ago uh, with my girlfriend at the time. She was there to see a band called 21 Pilots. Oh, yeah. My son likes that. Yeah. I mean, uh, and they were interesting. I mean, they set the stage on fire at one point. And, mm -hmm. and, and, it's a two-person band. I mean, yeah, was, yeah, I know. Yeah, it was engaging. They were the first band, and then uh, Weezer came on, and that's who I was there for. Okay. And then the Killers were next. Now I had mm. never seen the Killers before. Mm -hmm. and, you know, outside of uh, somebody told me that that was the only song I had, and I said, "Hey, I'm going to go to the bathroom right now." Okay. She says to me, "Standing for the first song, you'll be a fan by the time they finish it." Hmm. And I was like, okay, begrudgingly. And they started with that song, The Man. And I couldn't take my eyes off the singer. Like, yeah. he has Brandon Flowers. He's got like this yep. Elvis type you know, stage persona. And uh, she was right. Like, I think I went home that night and bought all their albums on iTunes. And, you know, it's like the singer from The Killers has it and i don't know what it is um you know but it's there's something whether it's a singer or a, or a comic where they just draw you to them and uh i think as like as a comic that's what i want you know that's why i hit the stage in leather pants and custom-made jackets and all that bullshit uh so you know i take a lot of my comedy stage persona from bands Mm hmm. Yeah. You and um and Ryan Roxy um, talked about that, how like. Musicians want to be comics and comics or comedians want to be musicians. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I would I totally agree with that. I have no musical talent. Um, I can't imagine like how Ryan feels. Uh, I sat the front row the last time they played Alice Cooper played the Greek and. Mm hmm. 
and it was just like mesmerizing to me what he must feel like inside. And then, you know, he came to see me, I think two nights later at the comedy store, sold out main room. And I could tell he, not that he wishes he was me, but I'm sure he doesn't. But like for those, for that hour, he kind of, Hey, you know, Skakel's pretty cool too. I think he was more than that. I think he was more impressed than that. I think he, um, because I did see what he said about that, and I think he was in awe of you, like you were in awe of him. You know. Well, I think musicians like comedians because, and you know, there's different schools of thought on this. You know, what's harder? But I always say, and of course, I'm a little biased. I think being a comedian is harder because, you know, you could be in a bad band. And you could turn around and blame the drummer. Yeah. But if you're a bad comic, there's no one behind you. Like, it's true. It's your ass. But that's what makes it such a amazing job. Is like when it's going, like last night was going about as well as it could for me. Mm-hmm. And, you know, here I am. It's, it's 12, 1230 on a, uh, was it the Wednesday night? Yeah. I'm having to follow six or seven super famous comics, you know, Marin, Whitney Cummings, et cetera, et cetera. And I'm, I'm holding my own. And, uh, it was a sexual feeling like, mm-hmm. and the first joke hit and, you know, there's, you know, I interviewed on my podcast, this guy, uh, um, I think Stephen Kotler. And he, he's been on Rogan. He has a book about peak performance and getting into the state of flow. Mm-hmm. And he's the whole point of his book is um, when you get into that state of flow, you could be doing something for an hour and it feels like two minutes. Mm-hmm. Like I experienced that last night where my first joke hit. And uh, because the comic before me, you're very funny. He's going to be like the next Eddie Murphy. His name's Ron Taylor. He gave me a really nice intro, but he didn't say my name. Like, mm-hmm. uh, and so I riffed on that, you know, <laughs> and it just, the crowd loved it. And I got into a state of flow 30 seconds in. And I think I did an hour and that hour felt like three minutes. Like That's awesome. Even when I, a joke didn't do well, the crowd laughed because I was having such fun up there. That's great. Because so, believe me, I'm sure you know, like I've had sets where, you know, the first couple minutes are okay. And I'm only doing 15 minutes, and that 15 minutes feels like two hours because mm-hmm. um, it's just like you know I didn't get in, I never got in that state of flow. So uh, I always know it's not easy to stand up in front of a, for the most part, a group of strangers. I mean, I'm sure it's different people every night that you perform in front of, and to make them laugh, you know, that is not an easy thing to do. You hit the nail on the head. It's strangers, like yeah. You know, your friends laugh because they know you. Exactly. Um, like when I play hockey with my friends or or golf or whatever, you know, I get a lot of laughs because people know what an idiot I am. Mm-hmm. But, you know, last night when I walk out on that stage, that crowd doesn't know me. No. It's like seven comics before me, all on TV and movies and all that. So they give you, they give you a couple of minutes mm-hmm. and that's it. Because at that point, it's midnight. And they are ready to go home. Uh, but, you know, I, 
you know, it, it's your job to get them to know you in as little time as possible, mm -hmm. uh, which is tough, you know. Um, but the way I do comedy, I mean, I'm pretty polished after 23 years. Um, there's not too many times I'll walk on stage and go, uh-oh, what do I do? Uh, so I can adapt pretty fast. You know, if I sense the room is tight, I, I go a different direction. If I sense the room is, like, hot. Like, last night, they were pretty hot. So they're in a good mood. So they want a lot. They're, you know, and I, I can't speak for musicians, but, like, as a comic, the crowd's on your side initially. They want to laugh. Yeah. Uh, they don't want you to be unfunny. Mm -hmm. uh, so, but... They can turn on you real fast. There is a certain level of expectation. But, hey, you better be funny, bro, because I'm out 200 bucks right now. So they are rooting for you. Yeah, yeah. And, um, I, you know, not to bring it back to Chad Zumach, but um, <laughs> they, they, you know, you can't show, not that you can't show weakness, but, like if you stumble as a comedian, it could it could really go south fast <laughs> because these are strangers. And when people detect weakness, you know, they could turn on you. And I felt like I, I felt like Chad's um, set on the Kevin Brennan roast. He, he just displayed a couple of weaknesses and like sharks, every, all the gross comedians were just all over him and they wouldn't give him a fucking break, man. And um. Yeah. Now that's different when you have an audience of other comedians like in that rose, but I looked at it from a neutral perspective and I like I thought that Chad's set was pretty good. I thought his jokes were pretty funny. I see people pulling up his Kmart ready or whatever it was, and I'm looking at it neutral. I'm like, he's pretty good. I think he's funny, you know, I think he's got some good material. Um, but man, if people don't think it don't want to engage with your comedy, it's it's a tough haul, I can imagine, right? Well, I'm a roast snob, so, you know, because I grew up in you know, the Dean Martin roast, which, yeah. you know, were um, unbelievable, like, you know, Foster Brooks and Don Rickles, and I, I prefer them much more than the Comedy Central roast, which, you know, the Dean Martin roasts were great because they were all friends, so they could say unbelievably racist things to Nipsey Russell. Or Sammy Davis, but they loved see. Uh, so that very similar to the Kevin Brennan roast. You know, every comic up there loves Kevin Brennan. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I think Chad's set, and people are gonna say, "Oh, you're just saying that because you're friends with him." I don't think it was that bad. Like, yeah, um, I don't either, man. Was he killing? No, but if you analyze the jokes, you know the. Uh, the one joke he had was really funny about, you know, Gary Goldman wanted to be here, uh, but he couldn't make it. Le Leslie Jones wanted to be here, but he couldn't make it. That got a big laugh. <laughs> yeah, I uh, thought it was funny. <laughs> now, the problem is he stumbled on it. He, when he stumbled, man, that was it. In that environment, especially New York comics, mm -hmm. they're brutal, man. Oh, like, God, yeah. You know, so, and if you got Aaron Berg, who is uh, an unbelievable comic, he would not give a chat a break, man. <laughs> yeah, he, he he was relentless, and then I think you had uh, Kumia in the back chiming in. 
Um, that was rough. Gino uh, was chiming in. But, you know, in analyzing Chaz Rose's set, I, I honestly don't think it was that bad. No, um, I don't either. And I think he does have a case when he says the narrative. So I, I think there there is a narrative of people, you know, gaslighting and act, I, I don't know. I, we, we don't have to go into that anymore. No, no, uh, but, but I mean, I think it's uh, here. Here was this because I love roast and analyzing roast. Said, sure. I think his problem was uh, he he brought too many pieces of paper on stage. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I could, yeah. With roasting, it's better to try and memorize your set because, um, you know, everyone's going to have a roast joke that doesn't do well. Uh, it, and and that's when you start fumbling through papers. And mm-hmm. so when I had to battle Jesse Joyce, who is an amazing comic, amazing writer, much better writer than I am, you know, he literally came to the stage with like nine pages of notes and jokes I came with six jokes in my head. Mm-hmm. That's it. Yeah. Uh, I had to come up with a seventh joke. There's going to be a problem. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And his first joke didn't do well. And so mm-hmm. he, uh, you know, I, I don't want to say he got nervous, but like he started looking through his notes and, you know, all that. And I, I've got all my jokes ready. Um, so I, I think in a roast, it's, uh, you can have a cheat sheet. But when you come up there with all your jokes, with ten, you know, I think Chad had like seven, eight pages of jokes, and mm-hmm. you know, he lost his place, and then he got yeah. nervous. Yeah. Um, so I would, you know, if you look at the people who did well on that roast, like Kill, like Patty, um, Tom Cassidy, um, Gino to a degree, Chip Jefferson. Uh, yeah, they none of them had notes. Yeah. Um, and all of them had a joke that didn't work. Even Patty. Patty had the set of the night. I think her and Tom Cassidy. Mm-hmm. But even they had a joke or two that didn't work. Yeah. Um, so, uh, but I honestly, uh, I don't think Chad's roast set was that bad. No, I don't. One thing I noticed about you and, 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 and a, a unique talent that you have, and, and I've noticed it in interviews, so when you're not on stage, is you have a really quick mind. Um and can really come up with a with like a jab you know i heard you throwing a lot of jabs at various musicians even slash or or whoever but i could see them laughing at your jokes about them you know and and you do it really fast and it's based off the conversation you're having probably my best asset am i the best joke writer probably not to be honest uh but my mind is incredibly fast which is why, like, when I'm on stage and, and I have to make a quick adjustment, it, it can it happens pretty fast because uh, there's no stumbling around in my brain. Um, yeah. I'm like a, almost like the bionic woman. Like, I hear things before they're even said. Yes, and that's what makes people good in their craft, whether it's, it's sports or what, it's like people that can slow, in a way, slow time and see things or, 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 or have dialogue in their head and can actually communicate it in a quick, I mean, that's, that's quintessential talent in a way, you know, you know, like last night, a glass broke in the kitchen and it was very loud. Mm -hmm. Uh, And 
and the crowd, you could tell the crowd was looking at me going, you better have something right now. And I did. <laughs> yeah. like I said, oh, someone just saw their bill in the kitchen. And uh, you know, <laughs> not the greatest line, but, you know. It worked. Quick. I literally said 0.08 seconds after the glass hit the floor. So uh, I'm, I'm lucky, and you know, to be... I mean, that's the, probably my number one comedy attribute is quickness. I could see it. I could see it. When you when you said a story about Tyler, the creator, was that at the comedy store and, and you roast him a little bit? Just I think he was in the crowd. But after he says, hey, I'm Tyler, Tyler, the creator. And you go, great. I'm Earl, the comedian. <laughs> I thought that was hilarious. I mean, that was uh, I think that's what got me the job, because I'm sure not knowing who he was at the moment, but mm -hmm. certainly knowing who he is now. Like I'm, I'm sure everywhere he goes, he gets his ass kissed. Um, yeah. And people wanting something from him or wanting to give him something. Hey, listen to my CD and my demos is great. And here I was just shitting on him. <laughs> and I think he liked that. Like, he's like, who is this guy? And that's his sense of humor is to put me as the lead on an all black cartoon. Um, you know, it's like that's a very South Park of him. Mm -hmm. Hey, we got a couple of minutes left. Sure. Scandaval, what's, what's your take? Well, I mean, it's someone who's been cheated on, and I've cheated, unfortunately. It's definitely not a brag. Um, I've been on both sides of that. Can't imagine the level of betrayal that they. And I think it just broke yesterday that there was some cheating going on in their house. Hmm. I'm not like this used watcher of Vanderpump Rules, but my wife is, so I'll watch it in the periphery. But I did start to watch right as the scandal of all things started to happen. And um, I found myself kind of siding with Tom Sandoval a little bit. It depends on what you believe, but I feel like if there's a relationship... And it doesn't seem like that relationship is flourishing or one person believes it was and one person believes it wasn't. And there's a, not a marriage involved. I feel like he has every right to, to say, hey, I'm not happy in this relationship, you know, and I feel like based on what I saw, and I want to get your opinion on this, but I feel like she was content in the relationship and 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 maybe too content, you know, and, and I think she has some things to look in the mirror and work on. And it's not all about this piece of shit, Tom Sandoval, how he handled it. Yes. But at the same time, when someone's not letting you out of a relationship and I heard maybe she threatened to harm herself, that's a fucking problem. Well, I think, you know, it's tough in a reality show breakup. And they might've been getting pressure from the network hey you guys can't break up it has to be when we're filming um you know because there was that one scene during the, i think it was episode one of the reunion uh reunion part one where tom was like i just need a fucking break man turn off the cameras i want to yeah. talk to raquel alone we just need a few minutes alone and the producer was like no no if you guys are together we have to film it mm. um so you know because i live right by pump Okay. Uh, I live right by Tom Tom. I walk my dog every day right by Sir. So I see those guys in, in uh, out of season, I guess is the right phrase. Uh, 
-hmm. And very rarely are they together. Like, you, mm -hmm. you know, none of them work. Tom Tom is barely open. It's really only open during filming. Mm -hmm. So I think there's so much... Uh, you know, there was that one scene in the when Ariana is moving out of the house and she's carrying uh, some financial papers and there was a, a financial company's uh, logo on the box. But it was later uh, known that she hadn't even moved out yet. That was a fake scene. So she could she had a paid uh, advertisement deal with that financial company. Yeah. So they were like, let's film a scene where you're moving and you can be holding one of our boxes. So I would agree with you in like a regular breakup. I've certainly had breakups where either me or the other party was unhappy. Mm -hmm. And instead of breaking up, we just started cheating. Yeah. Um, she didn't want to hurt their feelings or they didn't want to hurt my feelings, you know, um, yeah, it's amazing what people will do to avoid hurting someone else's feelings. You know, reality shows, because, you know, every episode on any reality show, except Survivor, and even on that show, they get people drunk. Is get people drunk, yeah. get their defenses down, and make fun of them. Exactly. Know? It's really the worst in people. Exactly. One thing uh, that is is... Is, is reality is that that Tom Sandoval? I mean, I'm comfortable in my sexuality, but damn, that's a good looking guy. I'm a, am I wrong? I mean, shit. No, he puts in the work, you know, shaves the forehead and yeah. uh, spends hours on his hair. I mean, he's good looking, but he works at it. He doesn't yeah. get the credit for that. Now, the true test is to see what he looks like at 54, and he better hope he looks as good as you. Well, I put in the work, though. You know, I spend a lot of money on moisturizers, facials, working out, all that shit. He's going to have to quit the drinking, though. You know, that's that's something he's going to have to Well, I mean, to drinking uh, is probably the worst thing you could do for your skin because it bloats your skin, it dehydrates you. And I'm not trying to turn this into a beauty uh, <laughs> uh, segment, but, like, you know, you, you can maintain your looks pretty well. And you don't have to be a super weight workout freak, but... You just basic maintenance can shave years off your face and body. That's true. That's true. And um, yeah. And another thing I like about you as we wrap it up is you don't have to do drugs. You don't have to drink to command a room and to be funny. Um, and I think you are great at that. I think um, I can't wait to see what you do next. I can't wait to hear about your projects and voiceover. I think that's a great thing for you. Um, You're a very unique and funny person, and I'm honored to have you on my show. And I hope to have you on again in the near future. I appreciate you having me. I'm, I talk a lot. It uh, helps me get rid of my oxygen. <laughs> Can't take it with you. Yeah, that's true. I hope you have a good night. Um, Thanks again, and I will talk to you later. All right, brother. Thank you so much. Yeah.